as we continue with our series, The Next Million. The series airs every Tuesday and Thursday at 4 p.m. This series has been looking at Metro Vancouver through the lens of another million people uh, living here. Our population is presently 2.8 million people and is expected at 3.8 million by 2015. How we accommodate those residents and how we work, live and play in the region with a million more people is really the question. Now, early this week, we looked at uh, our shortage of industrial land in Vancouver. Next week, we'll be joined by former BC Premier Christy Clark as we look at how we should govern the region with a million more people. Remember, this is a region with 21 municipalities, 21 fire chiefs, 21 police chiefs. Is that really the right way to go with another million people coming here uh, in 2050? Well, today we wanted to look at food production and security in the context of a region that is adding more people and yet still wants to protect protect its agricultural land. Now, there are over 17,500 farms in BC. We produce over 200 different types of commodities from eggs to chickens, uh, mushrooms, uh, vegetables, and cranberries. Here in Metro Vancouver, there are approximately six 60,000 hectares of protected ALR land. Now, our next guest uh, knows a few things about farming. He started uh, the family farm in Richmond. Uh, Peter Dillon and his family are one of the biggest cranberry producers in North America. Mr. Dillon is the CEO of the Richberry Group of Companies, an agribusiness enterprise with operations in BC and Quebec. Uh, the Richberry Group consists of cranberry companies, uh, which combined are one of the Ocean Spray Cranberry's largest shareholders and suppliers. Uh, Mr. Dillon is currently the chairman of the board of Ocean Spray Cranberries. And the youngest and first Canadian to hold that position as well. Uh, and in 2019, Mr. Dillon headed up the province's food security task force, which provided advice on how we can help grow more food and more jobs in BC's agriculture sector. Peter, thank you for joining us today. Hey, Josh, thanks for having me. So, uh, by the way, we are in the midst of the cranberry harvest. So I should probably ask you, how is the harvest going this year? Yeah, great. Thanks, Josh. Uh, uh, in BC in particular, it's actually doing quite well. I think we're one of the very few crops this year uh, that can say that we're uh, pretty happy farmers. I know that most uh, farmers in British Columbia with different commodities have had a real struggle this year due to uh, weather. Okay. Uh, And now you have operations in Quebec. How's that? Yeah, uh, Quebec, well, we got hit with weather there. uh, As uh, one of my uh, colleagues said to me, we've had two weather weather events in Quebec. The first one lasted 45 days of rain, and the second one lasted 45 days of rain. So (laughs) Quebec was, I think it was an all-time low on our production for level. Cranberry yeah, production. For cranberry production. It's amazing, isn't it? One one side of the country you're doing yeah. really well and the other side it's a challenge. Yeah, and it was f- the flip the other way around. That's the one thing I think for farmers, we, you know, the one thing we can't control is Mother Nature, and as you can see now, and we can witness around the globe, mm-hmm. is uh, all the different weather patterns that we're experiencing. So the series is called The Next Million, um, and how we feed the next million is also part of that conversation. Are we prepared to feed the next million under our present food system? Yeah, well, uh, great question. Um, I, I think there's a long way to go. Um, and uh, as we look at food security, uh, I think the question we have to ask ourselves is just the one that you've just posed is, do, do we have enough to feed the next million? I think the question is, do we even have enough to feed the current uh, um, population that we have? Knowing that food production in its conventional way is on a decline, not just uh, in BC, but right, right across the continent, we're seeing crops uh, uh, actually losing production. Because of the weather, because yeah. of variety you know, of reasons. You know, we, we thought a lot of the 
issues that we saw on grocery stores when we actually first time experienced shortage of food. It was supply chain or it was a war. But I can tell you today, the biggest challenge of growing food is uh, is uh, climate change. So you sit with senior executives uh, that run major food companies, major operations when it comes to agriculture across North America, Europe, uh, Asia. Uh, what goes through their mind when you folks are talking amongst yourselves and you've got a population of uh, 8 billion people on this planet? Like, what are the concerns that they that you're all collectively raising amongst yourselves? Yeah, Jess. Uh, in 2021, there was a conference of, uh, of major food companies, uh, farmer cooperatives, uh, just under a trillion dollars of food revenue, beverage revenue that was at this conference. And the number one concern was uh, how we're seeing food production drop right across the continent. And the concern was that how do we deal with this problem, especially in the light of demand for food increasing and production of food is decreasing. So with that, uh, a lot of these major food companies decided that, hey, we need to collectively work together. Even competitors are saying, we need to work together how we're going to solve this problem. And technology was certainly top of mind. In fact, at this conference, the Secretary of Agriculture uh, was speaking as the guest speaker. And, uh, and it was so profound his comment was that today food security in the United States is as important as national security. Hmm. Uh, so what, what would you change here locally? I mean, when you look at uh, uh, Vancouver, we often talk about our ALR land, everything else. What, would you, what are some of the things you think we need to fundamentally look at and do differently? Yeah. Um, well, I think, first of all, we've, uh, you know, like I said earlier, when, when we opened up was that food production in, in the provinces uh, this year, a lot of farmers are, were struggling. Um, but uh, what we I think we need to do is kind of look at a, an alternative food system, working with the current system that we have. But with climate change, and we're seeing, uh, you know, just a wide range of weather patterns coming in year after year, that if we're looking to feed not only the population today, but the population into the future, is actually looking at, uh, uh, you know, adding another system to the current food system that we have. And that's you know, I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity around in, so, indoor agriculture. So, so in, in, you're talking about indoor agriculture, right? Now, could you do that under the present system? I, I look at places like the Netherlands and, and the numbers. I was just going through them earlier today. Uh, you know, the Netherlands is not bigger than Maryland, uh, probably not much bigger than Vancouver Island. They produce 4 million cows, 13 million pigs, 104 million chickens. Uh, they export, they're one of Europe's biggest meat exporters. Uh, they provide vegetables to most of West Eastern Europe, and the country has nearly 24,000 acres, almost twice the size of Manhattan, of crops growing uh, in greenhouses. So why does a region that small turn into a food superpower, and we can't do that here in Metro Vancouver or here in British Columbia? Well, well, I think we can, and, and I think we should. Um, you know, when uh, Premier Horgan uh, put together the Food Security Task Force, one of the things that uh, he had discovered on going to the Netherlands is that British Columbia had an opportunity to be the North uh, Netherlands of the North, and I think that was kind of how we we started uh, our work together with uh, with with the government. Uh, but certainly, we we should be thinking of this model and how we can um, get food to British Columbians uh, in an environmentally sustainable way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, the thing I like about indoors is pest-free, chemical-free, uh, and water is becoming a much, much bigger uh, issue today than ever before. And it uses, uh, you know, less than a 0.1% of the water that a conventional operation would use. And you would have more than one harvest, right? Like, it's one of the things I drive through Richmond sometimes. That city is 40% ALR land. And it sits empty most of the year. Yeah, you have a blueberry, let's say a blueberry harvest, and that's it. 
that one harvest, you could essentially, with indoor farming, you could have a lot more harvest beyond just one. And as you say, it's much more efficient in regards to just the use of resources. Yeah, and, and you're right. You have multiple, multiple harvests. In fact, you would need a lot less land and you can grow a lot more on. So I think the upside is, is tremendous, and I think we need to start thinking about that. I do know uh, other countries are now you know, jumping all over the opportunity uh, because food security is tied into their national sovereignty, mm-hmm. uh, and who knows what ha- what's going to happen in the, in the future. But uh, I, I, I actually know that uh, there are a number of nations, uh, even in, in, in uh, Canada, uh, uh, Quebec, uh, Ontario uh, are jumping all, even Calgary is now, uh, you know, looking at uh, how they're going to introduce technology into food production. We're speaking to Peter Dillon. He's uh, chairman of the board of directors of Ocean Spray Cranberries. Can I call you a farmer still? Do you like, do you like Absolutely. That? Okay. That's what I call myself. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I mean, you get all these fancy titles, you always have to go back to where you started. Let's talk a little bit about just the issue of food security and what it actually means. Like when people talk food security, for me, uh, they think we're going to grow this crop and, and we need to grow it locally. That's food security. But food security, one would argue, is really about growing that crop and getting it to the store shelf. And along the way, it's about cleaning the product. Uh, one would argue uh, packaging that product, uh, delivering that product. And, and when I mean packaging that product, should you be packaging some of that stuff on ALR land, building, I mean, factories may not be the right word, but packaging facilities, uh, other structures on ALR land. So my question to you is, do we need to rethink what ALR is, or at least update the ALR, because it was put together in the 72 to 75 NDP government. I think most people are supportive of it. But we also are held back, some would argue, in regards to are we getting the best use of that land? Yeah. So, Joss, uh, you know, you can ask uh, 10 people uh, what food security means to them, and you probably get 10 different answers. And I can mm. tell you what food security means to me. Um, I think m- most, most things sometimes food security begins at the farm and ends at the farm. For me, food security means, you know, that's where it starts at the farm, but where it ends is at the grocery shelf where almost 100% of consumers buy their food. And if you don't get food onto that shelf, that's what creates problems. And um, everything in between the farm and the shelf has to work uh, together and, uh, and, and in harmony to make sure food is brought to the shelf. If systems are broken in between there or certain things are uh, you know, taken the wrong way, uh, it actually stops food or slows food getting to the shelf. And as we've seen also, some of those systems are causing costs to go through the roof. And we're seeing uh, consumers paying a lot more for food and we get this food inflation. And so if you really want to make sure you have uh, consistently food at the shelf at affordable prices, you got to fix, I think, in my opinion, anyways, the system from the farm to the shelf. So is that what I'm saying in between perhaps looking at packaging and um, like I said, factories may not be the right word, but putting some of these structures on ALR land. Yeah, you know, certainly when it comes to processing, I think when the ALR was created, the, the authors of the ALR actually had processing as a permitted use on 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 the ALR. So uh, it's it's actually crazy when we are actually growing food, driving it a couple of thousand miles away to get processed, and then driving it back a couple of thousand miles. You get food waste. You're 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 hurting the climate by taking food all the way there and really you're becoming less and less food secure because you're relying on some other entity to 
create the value add to bring food back to your shelf. So, you know, we need to have a system that is more grow local, process local, feed local. And that's what your task force report said. Question is, do you think any government's got the guts to implement that? And that's a challenge there. I mean, there's going to be feelings either way on this issue. Do you think we're eventually going to get there, or do you think it's still many years of struggle still to actually get to that point? Yeah, no, I mean, I I think that the fact that the government asked for the report was was a really positive sign when Premier Horgan said, this is what I, you know, I I want you guys to go out and and look at this because he saw it as a big issue. And I know that Premier Eby is also top of mind. He's, he's, He's talked about food security, and uh, and it's become uh, a big issue for him, for him as well. Do I think we'll get there? Yeah, I, I'm I am optimistic that we get we'll get there. I think eventually we're going to have very little, if any, choice at all to make these decisions. Uh, final question to you: We talk about the next million here in the lower lower mainland. Our global population goes from eight billion to nine billion, and I think it's supposed to peak around ten billion or so, uh, maybe a little bit more. Uh, We've been able to continue to grow and expand our food production for now. You're saying that now with weather, we're actually, the food production is, is, is going down. How do we feed the next billion then? Yeah, Jess, uh, I think that's the call to action. That's what keeps me up at night when I think about, you know, where, where we are and where we're going. And, you know, to me, I, I think uh, over time we're heading towards a global food crisis and, uh, and we need to do something about it now. And that's the call to action. You know, you, you know, we talked about California running out of water and by 2030 they're, they're predicting about a million acres of uh, production coming out and that will have a direct impact on uh, feeding British Columbia. You know, uh, and, and so I always thought the, the crisis was about a 10 years away. And just recently, within the last few months, India started shutting its border and it was the largest exporter of rice. And they said, we're not exporting rice because we've been in a drought and we got to feed our people. So already the crisis has begun because Thai, uh, uh, Vietnam and Thailand are doing the same things. And what I'm afraid of, more and more jurisdictions are actually now more concerned about feeding themselves as opposed to exporting. And, you know, look in Saskatchewan. We have four years of drought there. Uh, look at the, uh, the uh, Alberta uh, on the shortage of feed for, for, for livestock. We're seeing, um, you know, di- diminishing food supply uh, because of climate change. And what concerns me is that we shouldn't wait to solve it in the moment. Just imagine if we had housing done properly. If somebody thought, look at these statistics, let's look forward, how are we going to fix housing? And uh, if we did that, we may have perhaps avoided the crisis that we're going through housing today. Mm -hmm. And we're solving it in the moment as opposed to looking out. And I'm just saying, we need to now look out 10 years because if we're going to solve in the moment a food crisis, it's going to be a lot uglier than the housing crisis. Yeah, you know what? Uh, it's funny when I, I've covered a few riots around the world, and uh, I remember one in New Delhi. There was a riot, and you know what it was over it was the significant cost of onions had gone up, and it impacts the local person's um, uh, wallet at the end of the day. Uh, when you look at rice, it's a huge staple food for not just India, for for Thailand, for China and Japan. When those kind of food stocks go up. You can see it actually on the street where people get very angry. There are protests and some, at times even riots as well. We, we don't think of it that way. And I think that's a really good importance. Never, never mind the next million, the next billion as well. But we've taken food for granted in this region around the world and the production of food uh, for, for so long that it, it is one of those issues that are uh, front and center now as, as the world continues to grow and as the region continues to grow as well. Peter, thank you for your time today. Thanks, Jess.